The hard work of life is like going into the recesses of that deep cavern. The light of our convictions illuminates the path ahead, and the stronger our fire, the more clearly we can see. Daunting though the way ahead may be, a man moves forward knowing that where our strength is tested, our strength is made full, and that the hard work which needs to be done is the work of a man. Those were the words of Mike Yarbrough, today's guest on the show. This is episode 94 of the Men of Iron podcast. We're talking about tending your fire with Mike Yarbrough. My name is Chad Zook, and I am the host of the show. We at Men of Iron are changing a culture one man at a time. And it's our passion, it's our calling, and it's our mission. That's the reason why we bring great conversations like this one. Mike and I dial up a great conversation because we we have a similar heartbeat for men and for the, for men and masculinity and their place in the world. If you're a listener of this podcast for the first time, I just want to say thank you so much for leaning in. I know this conversation is going to be valuable if you apply what you hear. Also, if you're a longtime listener, I just want to say thank you so much for your commitment and just to the to the movement here at Men of Iron and leaning in and embracing these truths. You see, we lean into hard-hitting topics and have impactful conversations to help men improve their faith, family, finances, fitness, and friendships. Our vision for Christianity does not whitewash masculinity. We support a robust and manly Christianity, one that helps men become masculine men. Mike and I talk about how we can do this very practically in this conversation. We talk about some people from history that you can study. We talk about five different principles that you can embrace. But one thing's for sure, men need their place in the world, and Mike and I are advocates for men and for a robust masculinity. That's what it's going to take for us to win the day, to win our day, and to have a legacy, and to be the men who other people in the future can talk about. Now here's to my conversation with Mike Yarbrough. Today on the Men of Iron podcast, I'm interviewing Mike Yarbrough. Mike and I have been connected for several years now. He is the leader of a movement called Wolf and Iron. He's an entrepreneur. He also has a really cool thing called Rustic in Maine. You guys need to go check it out at rusticinmaine.com. They make all sorts of like handcrafted rings and different things. So love what you do, love your message, and so glad you're on the show today, Mike. Thanks, Chad, man. Uh, really glad to be here, and it has been a while since we've been trying to get together. So like I said, before we got uh, on the official call here, I appreciate you just pursuing me and uh, tracking me down because it's hard. You know, when you got a lot of stuff on your plate, it's hard to get things to sync up schedule-wise, but it's awesome, man. I, I really am going to enjoy this conversation. Well, I don't even know like what you're talking about, about being busy. I mean, family man, <laughs> serial entrepreneur, author. I mean, what else do you do? I mean, you have a lot of free, free, you, you know, free time, uh, lots of free time. Yeah, absolutely. We all have it, right? Yeah. So, hey, hey um, go ahead. I was actually going to, I was going to hit you with a question first yeah. because I saw that you were a Navy man yes. and I'm a Navy man and uh -huh. I saw that you had served for a couple of years. I thought we're about the same age. So tell me a little bit about where did you serve? Like what, what ships were you on? That kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I, I worked on F-18s and was stationed at Cecil Field, Florida. Since then, they decommissioned that base and given it over to the city. But worked on F-18s and was stationed on the Eisenhower and the Roosevelt. Did two different deployments on each of them, workups and deployments in my four-year stint. So yeah. what about you? Uh, I was on the USS Enterprise Aviation Electrician's Mate. Okay. And, so, and I did none of the aviation stuff. 
<laughs> I did really? Mate, more just like the run around, mate, whatever, you know, needed to be done kind of things. And um, it was kind of strange. I was actually, I was commissioned or I was supposed to be working on something called the ECAM system, which was this system that read the black box off a jet. So a, a jet or a helicopter goes down, they pull the black box off of it, tells them all the flight recordings and kind of what happened. And I was supposed to maintain that. And by the time I got onto the Enterprise, um, they had started and I got through like, you know, uh, you got to go through all these like little, the basic stuff that you got to do, like just because you're a grunt and, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of new. Um, once I got through about maybe two months of that, um, they had actually swapped out the ECAM system with like a modern computer. This is like Windows 98 or something like that, maybe Windows NT right. at the time. And so we just, you know, I didn't really have much of a job. <laughs> so I think we installed like SimCity on the computer and, uh, you know, it was it was a really good use of government tax dollars and time. So, yeah, not, not much of a story. I really wish I had a cool military story, but, you know, nothing to show for it, really. Well, that's your story. I mean, some people work hard and they smell like jet fuel and oil like I did. And then some people sit in an air conditioned office or whatever and just hang out like you did. I don't know if you did that. I'll tell you what, though, you know, the, the most fun that I had was. Uh, we went out on a, a five-week deployment. My last deployment was a, a five-week deployment. Um, and I'd gotten, like, literally once we set sail, they, uh, one of the petty officers or a chief or somebody came to me and said, Mike, um, you're good to get out. You're going to be gone. You know, like, once, you, once we get back in, you're, you're, you're all, your time's up. I said, that's awesome. Uh, I'm excited about that. And they just didn't care what I did. And uh, I was, so I just went to these shops that I thought I would never want to have anything to do with. And it was just really the engineers. And it was the engineers were just like, what are we going to fix today? Oh, there's this, you know, vehicle that we have. People don't understand the size of these ships. We have like vehicles on the ships, right? And so we have to go on there and, oh, it needs a replacement of a tire or a battery, or we got to paint this thing. And it was just a lot of really cool, like just wrench turning type of things. And I enjoyed that so much more than anything else I had done up to that point. And uh, that, yeah. that was really cool. I, I liked that a lot. Uh, everything up to that point was just sort of a disappointment one after the other, because, you know, it's as an entrepreneur trying to be a military guy, it doesn't work out all the time for, for you. Well, I'm sure you visiting those other shops probably allowed that kind of entrepreneurial spirit to kind of wake up though. You walk around, see all these engineers working on things. And I don't know how crafty you were uh, before your time in service, but definitely, you know, in what you do now and the creativity and what you do now, uh, I think some of that probably carried over, even if you even haven't consciously thought about it. Sure. Yeah, sure. I think so. Yeah. Well, thanks for your service, by the way. Same to you. And uh, just unfortunately, yours wasn't as hard as mine, but still, that's okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. Thank, thank you more for your service. Right, right. Yeah, that's all right. You don't have to pat me on the back. I'm too busy doing it myself. So, <laughs> no, it's always great. It, you know, the, it'd be even more uh, more beefy if you were a Marine, though. I mean, if that was the case, oh, we would I'd, I'd have some stories. And we, yeah, there would, there would be some back and forth. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, that's good stuff. Well, Mike, I know that you are a man of God, and I would just like to just ask you this general question. I've kind of listened to some of your truck talks, and I, I know, you know, you kind of have a pulse on what's going on in the world. But I want to ask you this question that as, as it pertains to Christian manhood, right, particular, that particularly. And I know a big thread uh, of your, that is a big thread all throughout this book anyway. But so the question is, is what do you think is the, is the condition of Christian manhood today and why? I think that when we talk about Christianity, I, the first thing that comes to mind is just American Christianity. So Christian manhood looks different in different countries where mm -hmm. Christianity is being threatened 
men look more like men and mm -hmm. Christian men look more like the men of God that we're called to be. Mm -hmm. uh, here in America, especially in the Bible Belt, where I've grown up my whole life, being in Tennessee and now North Carolina, um, you know, Christianity is it, it, it's threatened, sure, but not in the same way. I don't feel like I'm going to go to prison for us having this conversation right. or writing a book that mentions Jesus or something like that. Um, so it's very different. And I think that the state of Christian manhood these days is that we are trying to figure out what a noble cause is mm. that, um, that we can stand for and fight for in an era when uh, so much of life has been kind of the red carpet's been rolled out for us as compared to generations past and as compared to what's happening in other you know places in the world. And I, I think that's the state of, of a lot of Christian men is this, I want to, I want to be a warrior for God. I want to do good things for God. I don't really know what that looks like. Am I supposed to be going around finding demon, demon possessed people? Right. Or is it supposed to be like, no, I'm just, I've got to just work on myself and my brother next door and, and help us to become the best men we can be. And, and a lot of our work today is that in, inner work. It's the, mm. we're constantly faced with this demon of ease and wanting to just, you know, um, zone out in life and take the easy road. And we're re what we're really being faced with is, hey, here's that life of comfort and ease that people have fought and died for. You can have it, but it's, you know, are you man enough to basically tell yourself no and manage yourself? and maintain more of a spiritual focus in, in life rather than a, a worldly focus. And that, I think that's, you know, in somewhat of a nutshell, kind of where we are looking for a mission, not satisfied with the one that we're seeing, and then also feeling kind of incompetent about the, the, the mission of just like personal work, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I started to think back and this is mentioned in your book. And actually you're one of the people who gave me a, a real interest to do a deeper dive into Theodore Roosevelt. But I think back into people like that, you know, I, I consider great men, you know, men of faith, but just men of character and virtue. So I look at men like that. And I think, you know, we celebrate those type of men. I say we, I know that you do as well. Um, a lot of men maybe need to do a deeper dive into the, into history to kind of pick some of these men out to see if there's any transferable virtues and values. But you know, we, we tend to look backward at these men to say, wow, these men were manly men or they were virtuous men or they're men of character and they were going through hard times. Right. I mean, yep. Theodore Roosevelt, it, through the, the men who went through the wars, obviously, yeah. I know that we're just coming out of a war. We're not in a war anymore. I understand that. But I'm talking about the world wars. We tend to, I think, maybe put those men on a pedestal. Maybe they deserve it. Maybe they don't. But my, my question around that is this. Out of the men who are, who are advocating for a robust masculinity today, who is it you think we're going to remember in 20 years? Yeah, I've wondered that actually quite a bit. Uh, I've wondered who are the men that are going to, um, you know, that our grandkids are going to go, oh my gosh, that guy was a total stud. Like, I want to be like that dude, you know. Um, I think a lot of the, a lot of it's probably going to be some of these SEAL guys. Jocko probably is going to be one. Uh, it's hard to say. And, and, and a lot of this is hard to say now because it depends on how their life turns out. You know, if they, um, Theodore sure. Roosevelt kind of messed things up after he became president and he got fat and, you know, mm. <laughs> and he was very much more progressive. Um, and, 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 and he kind of, he had some cool adventures afterwards, but you know, uh, he did enough up to that point to be remembered well. And, you know, but some of these guys, they still got a long life ahead of them. You know, like who knows Jocko might just go off the deep end and do something wrong. It's kind of, but if you were just to say like state of things today, 
That's a really good question. I, I think Jocko will be one. I think some of these guys that are SEALs will look back at and say, those guys were warriors, and then they came back home, and then they, they still helped people be their best versions of themselves. Hmm. I think anybody who's doing that's going to be remembered. Um, uh, other than that, you know, it's difficult to say. I'm, I, because when we look at it from a historical standpoint, a lot of times it is these early American presidents that had they had gone through war and they had they had you know maybe they were entrepreneurial or they had, they were they had something going for them mm -hmm. and then they established themselves as like i want to serve my you know fellow americans and they ran they became a president and they had something notable from that and we look back and, and, and esteem them i think there's some guys like you know ronald reagan maybe um but as far as guys now um it's hard to say because some of them are you know very similar like a lot of the the seals that have come back like you got mark divine you got jocko willink you got um, you know, Leif Babin, uh, you got uh, so many others, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Marcus Luttrell, who's now running for, for office. And, um, you know, but a lot of these guys have similar stories. So are they all going to be remembered? Probably not. But they're all they're definitely going to make an impact. And, uh, and I that's, think that's an interesting take, because, yeah. you know, their stories are similar. It's one of those things I've done a deep dive and on, on a, a show um, that I created called New Kind of Man, interviewed several SEALs. And you kind of hear similar stories, even beyond the everybody has a bud story, you know, that whole yeah. thing, and which I love hearing those stories, right? Sure. The adversity, I love that. Um, but but those kind of run together. You know, they do. And it's and I think that when when those SEALs basically were given a green light or they took a green light or just took, you know, had the agency and just did it themselves, started writing all their books and memoirs. I think, you know, they're, they're telling their stories, but their stories sound very similar. Yeah. And, and what you say, I haven't really thought about this. What you, what you're saying is it's like, who is going to be the one who rises to the top? I think that Jocko, uh, he has a fantastic message. Um, you know, I think there's, there's my, my opinion, not that he's asked for my opinion, but it's my show. So I can give my opinion. Right. I, I think there are some holes too, in his, in his approach, but, um, but I think he has a really strong message that's compelling and one of service, which I think is is the it is the most uh, I think the baseline desire for a man is to be heroic and heroic in a field of service. And that's really what we talk about, you know, what I talk about a lot. And I think these these men that we chase after, they were heroic, but they were heroic because they leveraged something, their lives, perhaps, or influence or money in service to God and country or God and their fellow man. Um, so I don't know. I, I just kind of let my mind wander in those places. But so let's settle back into, into some other things because, so the first question was, what is the condition of Christian manhood today? Um, I tend to agree with you. I think that there, there is a definitely a stigma in the Western world, American Christianity with men like that. I think it is different throughout the rest of the world, yeah. but yet because you know, and right now I think culturally the uh, the minority has a megaphone. So I think that in uh, and I guess much more ground roots ways. I think we just need to be men of virtue rather than just talking about the fact of what a virtue is. Yeah. So now let's spend the rest of our time talking about virtues. So <laughs> all right. So so in your book we it's called tending the fire. That's the, that's the, the main part of the book. And so what is the fire that you're talking about? Like in, in who has this fire? 
So every man, every person has a fire within them. And I focus specifically on men because that's my mission with Wolf and Iron. And as a guy, that's what I know about. I don't know about what it's like to be a woman. I don't think I could give good advice on that. But the the fire inside of a man, uh, it's our our spirit, our life force. uh, It's our vim, our vigor, our passion for life. Mm -hmm. And so it represents this sort of dynamic Every our whole life kind of being in our you know sense of drive and, and so much of that stuff, and so in the in the book I really give this illustration that um, a guy imagine a guy he's in a field or in a forest and there's a fire before him and his fire is kind of burning you know it's okay but it's not great and he's just throwing a bunch of rubbish books on it to mm-hmm. try to keep it going and I think that's where a lot of the guys are these days is that they're just sort of trying to go to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing that provides some kind of entertainment value. Mm. And entertainment gives like a little bit of, of a flash, a little bit of a spark there, but it's sure. not the same thing as really feeling like fulfilled and built up and on mission mm-hmm. and driven and, uh, and just full of purpose. That's what guys are missing. And, but that's the fires is, is that piece that, that men need to be aware of. Like I, I, I have something inside me that's calling me to something greater and that's that fire that just needs to be tended and brought up into to its really its fullest flame. I like how in the book that you talk about, you, you talk about this fire that every man has, but also you go through and you say, this isn't willpower. Yeah. It's, it's deeper than that. Willpower is subjective to so many different things. Sure. And, and I think the, the thesis, your argument in the book is that we have this, this fire, this flame that we need to manage. And I love how early in the book that you talk about, it, part of that journey is you You also start to look around and see what I'll just call manhood. I don't know if you termed it this, but manhood is we're not the only ones trying to tend to our fire and trying to you you use that that visual of a fire and somebody trying to throw books at it, just trying to stoke that fire up. But he says, but there there comes a time in, in a man's life where he looks around and he sees other men trying to do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And go ahead. And, and those inspirational figures like you and I were just talking about. There's some other guy out there in the woods, you know, maybe way out in the distance, and you can just see a little bit of a spark of a flame. And then you go, my gosh, that guy, he's burning bright. Like, because if I can see it all the way from here, that's pretty awesome. Well, that's those guys like, you know, Jocko or whoever else may end up being the next, you know, kind of wave of guys that we remember 50, 100 years from now. And, you know, but it's also other guys that are, that are more local to you than you think. And it's these guys that are just like, they're really just passionate about becoming a man. And they're they're really in, intent on how they're living their life, and uh, and and that's something that we don't see very often because so much of our uh, view of what manhood is and how people live is through Facebook and Instagram and television and you know all these other things, and it's a really a downplayed version of of what manhood's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and so we really need that more opportunities to actually see guys living these things out. And so that's why we go back to a lot of these books, these historic materials, so we can kind of get a little bit of that. You know, when we when we read about the life of Theodore Roosevelt, I mean, even then he stood out, right? He was he was unusually mm-hmm. uh, masculine and, and cool for, you know, for his age uh, and time and, and, and place in history. But, you know, especially now we look at that guy and we're like, wow, what a man. People used to meet him and say he was just like, it was like meeting pure energy. And mm-hmm. I just thought, man, that's so cool. I, I want to, yeah, I would love to meet somebody or maybe even be that guy mm-hmm. at some point in my life when they meet him and they just think, this guy is pure energy. And, um, and so there, there's a lot of those, these kind of fire, um, uh, you know, illustrations that we kind of pull from history that just seem to come up quite a bit uh, as, we, as men talk about just our passion and our desires and what's missing in life and those kinds of things. 
Well, this really kind of leans into, I, I think, social media also, because I think there's there's a huge, uh, there's just a huge market, you know, for people, for even men in the men in the, the man space, manosphere yeah. to go out and then to present themselves or show themselves as manly as far as social media and all of that. And I, I, I believe that you see right through it. It's like, eh, more than likely, this is just, it's a gig for them, you know, and not reality. Yeah. Um, other than Theodore Roosevelt. So, I mean, we could do a deeper dive into this other than Theodore Roosevelt, because the main argument against Theodore Roosevelt is you can create your own history when you're writing it for other people. Like he was writing his history before he was done living out these adventures. So that's one knock on him. Yeah. But but I think when we look historically and we look backward, I think you look at these men and they weren't chasing significance. They were chasing something deeper. They were chasing service like the founder, you know, the founding fathers, even Ronald Reagan, for instance. And I'm not trying to be political at all, but but Ronald Reagan, who was an actor, not that not that huge of an actor, but he was he was an actor and successful in that. And then he goes out and he serves two two terms as president. And, and he showed some real gumption, whether wherever someone lines up politically, they have to say you may disagree on what on some of the things that he did. But he showed a lot of gumption in a time where where we needed a leader who was willing to step up for for the common good and not just their own platform. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, and I think that moving forward, I think that men um, are, are again, it's my opinion. I think that that men are going to be known for not for what they presented publicly, but how they live privately. Yeah. All the public stuff's going to come out at, at the end. Right. I, there's a, there, uh, I was a big fan of Ravi Zacharias mm -hmm. as, as a Christian and, and following yeah. him right for so many years, my kids grew up with Ravi in the house. I mean, you know, on TV and, uh, you know, I, I, I've quoted him, I've studied his stuff. I've probably watched his ministry more than anybody else's, uh, ever. And the guy, you know, he, he's, he gets some kind of cancer, ends up, you know, dying. It's really sad. And not long after he, he's passed, these things start to come out that he had raped women, that he had abused uh, his privilege, his, you know, his authority, that he had had basically a lifelong, uh, you know, doing this and had quite a few people covering it up. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's the thing. It's like, I can't watch another Ravi video as much as I would love to, as much as he was right about the things he was saying, mm -hmm. it just ruins that for me. And, and where I would have, if you had asked me th that question about who's going to be remembered, you know, 50, 100 years from now, I probably would have said him, you know, two or three years ago. Uh, but not after what he's, you know, what's happened, uh, that whole lifelong ministry, I'm not going to say it didn't have an impact, but it didn't have the impact that it could have because at the end of the day, his true colors, you know, came out. And it was just really, it's a really sad thing, heartbreaking thing to see. Um, but I, and I think that's where we've got to be as men. We've got to be, if you're in this space, like you and I are, where you're trying to help men, you've got to be open and you got to be real. And so like, if you haven't, if you have an issues with your marriage and you're having issues with your kids, you're having issues with the finances, whatever, it's not like it's all about you and your problems, but at least you've got to be transparent and real about those things mm -hmm. so that you don't put on this air of like, I've got it all figured out. I'm ultra macho. I'm the guy who's, mm -hmm. you know, got no problems and then have that, you know, have it all come crashing down on you. Yeah. That guy's fake. You know, I don't even yeah. want to be around that guy. To right. me, that guy can't be trusted. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, 
And, and you you speak into this uh, further in your book and to the living truthfully part it's about being a man who's just who will tell the truth and who will be honest and and just how uh, how important honesty is in the life of a man. So let's let's look at these at these principles that you talk about. You say there's five. We're not going to spend ample time on all of these. They can they can buy the book and read the book and study the book and live out these principles to to right. do that. So let's just take some high points. And if we hit all five, great. And if we only hit two or one, that's great too. But so the, the principle number one, I'll just scan through them really quickly. It's okay. living deliberately, living courageously, living virtuously, living truthfully, and living spiritually. Out of those, which one do you think is the most, I would say, most important for a man to get in the 21st century with the, the polarization that's everywhere, which one of those things, if you could just handpick that, that Mike, you could handpick one of those and say, man, if a guy could just get this, they're all important. Yeah. Or else you wouldn't put them in your book, but which right. one? Yeah, it's tough. They all, they, and they all connect to some degree. I, I think the one thing that you've got to really be in pursuit of as a man is, is truth. Mm. I think that integrity has got to be paramount and you've got to believe that there is a, that if you were to find the truth, as hard as it would be to accept that you'd be willing to accept it mm. as the truth about yourself, the truth about the world in which you live, the truth about God, whatever it happens to be, you've got to be a man who values that above all other things. Mm. You can't really, I mean, are, are you courageous if you're courageous for a lie? You know, maybe, mm. but it's still not leading you in the right direction. You know, are you, if you deliberate, if you deliberately live out your life, uh, you know, for a lie, is that healthy? No, of course, it's not good. Mm. So I think truth has got to be there, you know, as, as that kind of foundational thing. And I think, and especially today in our day and age, truth is so subjective. You know, you've got my truth, which is just mm -hmm. an opinion, but people want to call it truth. They want to take their opinion and escalate that to, to the point of truth. And I think we've got to really be, you know, on, on, the, um, on the forefront of, of the battle for truth. Because here's the thing, right now, you and I can have this conversation where we discuss it, we know what truth is supposed to mean, the people listening to this, you guys who are listening to this, you know what it means when we say true, not true, right? There's a there's a definition there. Uh, our grandkids or great grandkids are going to have a fuzzier definition of what that word means. And so we've got to fight for it, we've got to let them know, no, there is a, such a thing as actual truth. Mm -hmm. You know, does reality match up to the thing that you're saying? And if it doesn't, you're a liar. You know, and it's that simple and it's actually really important. And if, if we're not about that, then we're going to everything else is going to be downhill real quick. Yeah, we're still living in the aftershock of postmodernism, you know, yeah, that started in the 70s and 80s and in the idea of just questioning everything. What I'm what I'm kind of I'm not I'm not going to say fearful of, um, but concerned about, I would say, not necessarily fearful because I, I believe God's in control of all this. And I don't say that was some sort of you know, ethereal, uh, you know, belief or some sort of, uh, you know, ambiguous thing. I, I think that God is real. And I think that he has a plan for us. And I think we're, we're living in the middle of history for sure. Yeah. But one of the concerns that I have is, is with postmodernism, it seems like everybody's asking questions, but they're not sticking around long enough to actually figure out what the truth is. So it's like, it's, it's celebrated to ask questions, but yet, they're not wise enough to be able to stop, to actually be able to decipher and deduce what is truth. Yeah. And I know that you talk about deductive reasoning in the book. And you, so if you could unpack that a little bit, 
because I think it's valuable when we start talking about truth and really any of these other principles, it's just deducing, how can we deduce what is true and what is not true? Well, one of the things is that is we have to realize that it's not going to come quickly. Uh, and if, if we think about um, some of you guys who are listening to this, it may have read Mere Christianity, where C.S. Lewis basically goes through and says, how could we just kind of believe, you know, get religion out of it? But how, why would it make sense that there is a God and that, you know, that Jesus is his son and those kinds of things? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating book, fantastic read, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not short. It's not like a, it's not a Twitter, you know, feed. It's not, it's not something that you could just tweet out and be like, oh, I, I get it now. When you're talking about things like discovering the truth about something, it takes an investment of brain power and focus and attention and time to go from asking the initial question and the 25 other questions that you got to ask, you know, to get to the place where it starts to make sense to you and mm -hmm. you have an answer on the other end of that. And, and we're, we're raised in a, and, and all of us are experiencing this right now, but even not just the younger generation, but us as well as, as men, I'm, no, I'm now 43 where our attention span is getting, you know, shorter and shorter and shorter. And so somebody may have a, an answer out there for us, but we don't want to spend the time that it takes to actually, you know, invest in that. And so, you know, that's one of the things you just got to understand. If you really want the truth, it may take you some time to get to, you know, to where you can understand it. Um, as far as deductive reasoning and stuff goes, we have to have a baseline for understanding something. So I, in the book, I use Sherlock Holmes as a good example of this, where Sherlock goes on the scene and he sees a footprint and, you know, Scotland Yard's baffled. They don't really know how to solve the crime. There's been a murder, you know, as it always is. And from the footprint, you know, Sherlock Holmes kind of deduces, as he would say, uh, that, you know, that the the, uh, the, the murderer was, uh, you know, so-and-so height and so-and-so build and had a limp and, you know, all these different things. But in order to do that, he had to have some prior knowledge of like, you know, shoe size corresponds to height and impression depth of a shoe print corresponds to weight, you know, so on, right? So we have to have some base knowledge. And so that's where I think a lot of guys are really struggling these days is that we don't have those basics of like, what does it mean to be a man? Why does it even matter if you're a man, you know, if you're a, a physically a male and you're actually living life as a man, why does that actually matter? Mm -hmm. So that used to be just taken for granted back in the day, but we have to have some baseline of understanding. And uh, that's all being, um, we're having to start over with a lot of guys. We're having to tell them, you know, here's why strength matters. Here's why integrity matters. Here's why truth matters. Here's why your word matters. All of these different things that, that we probably grew up with. It was just, that's, of course it does. It's the way it is. Right. Um, we're having to start from square one. And, um, uh, and, and I think giving them some baseline is going to help them as they kind of approach other things in the world and start asking questions to be able to deduce what is the, what's the truth. Yeah. And I think even, you know, within the Bible, you know, it, it does take time. It isn't, you know, you're not gonna be able to put everything 140 characters or less, like you said, like, you know, yeah. with the Twitter reference to think, oh, I've got it now. And what's really confusing about this is if I go to Facebook and I go to my feed that they have, you know, that Mark Zuckerberg has conveniently dialed in just for me. That was nice of him to do that. It really was so thoughtful, you know, Thanks, Mark. 47 year old white male and he's got me all figured out, you know, and he wants to sell me everything that he thinks that, that, uh, you know, that he thinks that I need. But one of the things that, that shows up on my feed are these people kind of like Ravi, uh, but not in a more political sense than, than theological, like he was, or just yeah. apologetics. But even that there's, there's such a allure to that, to listen to, 
Ben Shapiro blow up somebody's argument in a college, you know, in three minutes. It's like, oh, three minutes and oh my goodness, it's so good. But what, and it seems so satisfying to say, yeah, I'm on the side of truth, but yet we can't articulate that ourselves. Right, right. Because what we haven't done is the hundreds of hours working out these complex ideas and then, and then the hundreds, if not thousands of hours having conversations to get to this conversation. Yeah. Of which to dwindle it down into three minutes. So, you know, and again, I, I know that a lot of that's marketing as well. But but the, the corollary is this is time. Yeah. You know, it is time. It, it's not done in a microwave, it's the crock pot. It's it takes time to deduce that. Um, but also to be able to know what is true and what is is not true. So how does you mentioned this too? How does an active mind relate? to living truthfully, an active mind. So if you think about it, we've got all these opportunities these days to, to be lazy minded. That is, I want to Netflix and chill. I just want to check out. I don't want to really think about stuff. I want to take the easiest path, whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. I've talked to guys who are in their fifties, guys who are in their sixties that I've known for a number of years that are like, I really need a career change. And they've been stuck in that sort of mindset of like, I need to do something different for the last 10, 15 years. And you're like, why haven't you moved? Why haven't you done something different? Why haven't you just put in an application somewhere else? Just make that change. And it's because they're taking the easy road. They're expecting life to come to them with opportunities or to force them into, you know, a different season of life or something along those lines. But the active mind is pursuing things. It's pursuing like what's best, what's best next. How am I going to spend my day? How do I want to spend my week? What do I want to have accomplished this year? Uh, What am I going to focus on this year as I go through um, you know, uh, from 2021 to 2022, or now 2022 to, to 2023, you know, what, what do I want to say I did, or I, or I got done? What are the things that are most important to me for the next 10 years? Um, you know, and it takes an active mind to really pursue those things. And there's a lot of distractions. I mean, I'm, I'm subject to them just like anybody else, but that's what the active mind is going to come in. It's going to say, I really want to learn. I want to understand. I want to grow. Uh, the things that challenge me, those are the areas that are that I really want to be investing time and energy. And that's if the things that I've just described, uh, there are fewer and fewer and fewer people like that these days, especially mm-hmm. as men. And if you want to be a man who stands out, have an active mind, take mm-hmm. be curious about the world, mm-hmm. take a deep interest in things, slow down and you know take your time with with the things that other people are going to pass over and you're going to stand out and you're going to rise above, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were talking, I was thinking of a mindful curiosity. And then you said curious at the end. It's a mindful curiosity of just, you know, how, how did we get to the place where we are right now? How the state of manhood, how did we get here? Like, and do a deep dive on that. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things, I think that it's really easy. And again, it's the path of least resistance, of which what you're, you're saying that we're all prone to, and I'm certainly prone to do that. I have to be mindful and curious about ways to grow. But even the way that this, this plays out for me is um, in this kind of baffle certain people, if I want to know something about a topic, like a deep dive into a topic, I don't just listen to voices that I already tend to agree with. Yeah. I want to hear that contrasting voice. I want to know how they got to the place where they are that way. I can be, I may not move from my position. I may find a truth and say, no, this is true of life. This is true of the world. This is true of myself or whatever, true of God. But I want to invite, I want to be mindfully curious to invite other people. Okay, 
they, we see this in, in a different lens. How did they get to the place where they are? And I think that helps us either way. Sure. We may not get to the place where we agree with them, but what, what we do is it could even sharpen our own belief. What are your thoughts in regards to that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I, I would say, um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind on that is social media uh, these days. And one of the things we need to understand is if you and I got together and we were like, let's say in a men's group of some kind, mm -hmm. uh, we might agree on 80% of the things, right? But there may be this other 20% where we just don't see eye to eye. I grew up different than you, whatever the case is. We had different Navy experiences. You know, yours was cooler than mine, whatever it happens to be. Something changes how we see things. But our baseline understanding or our baseline beliefs about, you know, some really strong fundamentals are the same. Hmm. And you and I would be able to have a really good conversation to help each other see each other's perspective. Hmm. But I want you to understand and other people to understand who are listening to this, because you probably already understand this is that when, when we have a, try to have that conversation on Facebook, one, it's social media, it's online, it's not person to person, so it's difficult. But the other thing is that they are purposefully choosing somebody who does not have the same fundamental beliefs as you do. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're choosing that person to engage in conversation with whatever you've posted. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to start from like ground one, like ground zero, like what do you believe about God? And what's your worldview? And, and how do you think we all got, you know, whatever. That's a, that's almost impossible to have that conversation on social media. Yep. So these kind of those kind of like growth. I want to understand your perspective. You understand my perspective. That works when we have a really good baseline, and and our fundamentals are shared. When our fundamentals aren't shared, then we're just we're not going to see eye to eye. It's just almost never going to happen. We may want some of the same things, like um, you know, like fundamentally as humans, like I have to eat, you have to eat, right. but. Beyond that, it's going to be a, a, probably a, a fairly fruitless and frustrating conversation because that other person is going to have a a view of things that is so contrary to yours that you're going to have your, a hard time wrapping your mind around just the rationale of it, you know, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Well, yeah, it does make sense. And I think for the, the listener, that's also going to make sense. I, I think that one thing about that as well is you may not always agree or you may get to the point where you're like, OK, you know, you're going to walk into a firestorm of ideas. And, and this, you know, and, and the tendency is to kind of sit back and just lob, you know, mortar shells of truth, you know, to your opponent. Yeah. But I think one of the key things there, too, is you may not agree with everyone, but you can honor and give every person dignity. Sure. And, and I think that's one of the biggest knocks that unfortunately that Christians have particularly it's even, even all the infighting, you know, yeah. within Christianity, those who see one theological, you know, see through this theological lens, it can't come to terms with this other theological lens or you're part of this denomination. And oh my goodness, how could you be doing that? And how could you be doing this? And you baptize the wrong way and you go to the wrong church and it's all this, all, all these things to divide us and yeah. even avoiding all the spiritual stuff, which we could talk about all day long. But I think even in that is, is to, again, what you say, look for, look for a common thread, but even if you can't find to the place where you have a common thread, I think within, within Christian brothers and sisters, the thing we have to lead in at all times with all people in the faith and outside the faith is honor them as people, as image bearers of God and give them the dignity that God instilled in them. Yeah, I 100% I, I agree with that. I think the challenge, though, um, is how do I honor someone with dignity and also challenge them on what they believe if it's really harming people? You know, right. like, let's say, um, let's say there's a parent that's that wants to give their seven year old 
hormones to try and change their sex because the seven-year-old feels like they need to be a, you know, whatever, or 10-year-old or 14-year-old, whatever, you know, right. and let's say I'm close enough with that person that I could have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I want to be able to say to them, like, look, you know, if you're willing to hear what I got to say, I'm going to tell you pretty strongly that this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. How do we have those conversations? And I think that's really the, maybe it's more of an art to it, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, you want to honor people. Um, you don't want to disparage them or put them down, but at the same time, some people need to be called out. Right. And, and I think that's, um, you know, Jesus did that, you know, when he called people, the Pharisees, a, a pit of vipers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, or maybe the Sadducees, I can't remember, but you know, I mean, he, he called people out and he said, you know, you stiff necked people, you know, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, he loved people. And I think that's, um, that's a, a challenge for us to do is to be able to call people out to really say, this is right. This is wrong. But I love you anyhow. Yeah. yeah and I think that, you know, you you gave the uh, the lead in, which is the most important. It's somebody you have a relationship with mm -hmm. uh, to have that discussion on social media. Forget about it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it, I mean, it, it is not going to be it may give you that that immediate sense of like, oh, yeah, I got him. You're not changing anyone's mind. If you don't have the if you don't have the stones to be able to sit before someone and tell them a hard truth. Yeah. And just across the table, you know, either drinking a beer or having a coffee or something, then you have no business of my opinion anyway, of blasting somebody on social media. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm always reminded of this. Uh, I had a manager one time uh, and I can't remember exactly what happened. It was he was going to get called into the office of his boss's boss or somebody else's boss. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell them, you know, what for and, you know, I can't remember exactly the scenario, but it was just funny. He was, he was talking tough. And so <laughs> when we got in there, he was like, man, I'm sorry. I can't believe we did that. Or that just doesn't seem, you know, it was, it was very different. And it, it's, it's one thing to blast somebody on social media, yep. you know, that you, that you'll never see in real life versus the person that you're going to walk into their office and sit down and talk to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it humanizes people and you don't want to be mean to somebody. You want to treat them as you'd want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we just, we're, we, we lose that, you know, for sure on, on online trend, you know, connections. So as we wind up the conversation today, which I think has been amazing, tell me about the foundry. What is that? Why did you start it? Um, you know, what's in, in basically what's your, your purpose behind it? So the foundry is something that we've had in the, in, the, in my mind, I had in my mind for several years now, uh, but it's taken a while for us to get to the place where we launched it and the timing just couldn't be better given what's happening on social media. So one of the things, so in short, the Foundry is our online community for men to grow, to be connected together. Uh, right now, phase one is all about building that organic community of guys, uh, um, you know, men who want to be better men, better husbands, fathers, and leaders, and so on. But, and then the phase two will be, we'll actually launch guilds, and, and the guilds will be our actual smaller bands of brothers that are actually going through materials and growing together. And uh, one of the reasons that we kicked this thing off was because uh, we see the stuff that's happening on social media and, you know, these conversations that we were just talking about where people don't know how to discuss things. They, they're all over the place. We're purposefully getting put in situations where we're having to argue with other people or we're, we're supposed to argue with other people. And nobody on social media has ever been taught how to have a conversation like in real life, but certainly not an online conversation. They don't have a shared values. They don't have um, any really any skin in the game when it comes to how they act or how they behave because they can just block somebody or delete somebody. Right. And we've really got to shake things up because uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, YouTube, Google, all of them 
are very liberal, very progressive, and mm -hmm. they're pushing their policies and they're shutting people down who disagree. So we've got to we've got to do something where guys can connect and um, you know on things that matter and be able to have conversations about stuff that they believe in that you know uh, especially you know Christian guys, more conservative guys. And so uh, that's why we decided to do this is basically an online community. It's a paid platform. The guys who are there, they're paying money every month to be there. They want to actually have conversations, want to grow together, want to put their life out there for other guys uh, to, to either inspire people or to ask questions, you know, to other guys. And so that's kind of the, like I said, the phase one goal and the phase two would be, um, you know, growing together as actual, you know, bands of brothers. And this is through an app, correct? Yeah, we have an app. Uh, both There's both the, you know, the desktop or web version, and then there's the app actually on your phone. And as you can kind of think about it, it's like a... If you joined a modern social media platform, it's going to have a lot of the things where you have a profile, you can put stuff out there, you want to share your life story or pictures or whatever, that kind of stuff, you can do that. Uh, but there's also the thing that makes the Foundry kind of unique is that we have groups that are, um, uh, it's help you be intentional about your online community presence. Like, why are you there? So maybe you're a guy who's a new dad and um, he loves to hunt and he needs to work out. And those are those about as much as you can, you know, where you really need to be spending your focus. Well, we've got groups for that. So you can come and join the foundry and you can join those groups and be a part of those discussions specifically. You don't have to be a part of all of the other discussions that are taking place, you know, on, you know, the platform like you would in a, say, a Facebook group, which we have as well. Right. But it's just everybody throws everything in one pot and you're kind of subject to it to get burned out. You know, that's not helpful. That's not good. We want guys to be intentional about about their life and, and how they're growing. Well, I think it's pretty obvious these days that there's a lot of instability with social media, period, um, in just the direction that Facebook's going. I know there's a whole lot of, you know, business platforms built off of masterminds or Facebook groups yeah. and those kinds of things, which, again, they they could, if it wasn't making Facebook money, they would have already stopped it. Exactly. Yep. So, and as soon as I think that there is a tipping point coming, I don't know when that's going to be, but I think sooner or later, there's going to be a tipping point coming to where I think that we're going to have to choose, okay, where do you, where, you know, what are we willing to compromise to kind of stay with uh, communities like that? So, all right, well, guys, you heard it. It's called the Foundry. It's $7.99 a month, I believe. That's, I think, what I saw online or $7.99, just so anybody, <laughs> yeah. $799. No, $7.99 to be a part of it, uh, which is really a small price to pay for all the value. And again, to grow with like-minded men, not just in a in in a spiritual sense, but in a fun sense. I know you're talking about other things like hunting and photography yeah. or different things that guys would be into, which I think yeah. is, you know, guys, guys, they need that too. They need the, you know, the recreational side of being a man. So I know that'll yeah. be a place they can engage. So. Well, Mike, as we wind up today, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you um, and just your message to men out there, what you're doing. You're encouraging people, whether through your podcast or your post. And uh, it's been it's been a little while coming, but it was all worth it. Yeah, agreed, brother. I appreciate it. Well, guys, I told you that was a good conversation and it proved to be. I do apologize for the audio quality. Right before I started recording with Mike, my board and processor that I use just stopped working for a little bit and didn't work at all through the conversation. So I just had to drop back and punt and just use the computer audio 
Again, the conversation was great. The quality was not that great, and I do apologize. Hey, if you'd like to know more about what we're doing at Men of Iron, go to menofiron.org. We have a lot of really cool things going on there. We also have some uh, a big anniversary that's going to be coming next year and with a big event. And in that event, we have booked Coach Tony Dungy to be the keynote speaker at that event, at that anniversary event. It's going to be an amazing time. You can hear about what we're doing at Men of Iron, again, at menofiron.org.